Let's pray as we come to God's Word this morning. Father, we just thank you so much for your Word that is true and powerful. And thank you for speaking to me this, uh, this week as I prepared this message. And I pray that you would speak to everyone here today and you would speak to especially those who came in with fears and, and came in gripped by fear that by the time that they leave, your Word would have ministered your truth to them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Transitions are periods of time when one season is ending and another beginning. If you've ever moved countries or you've ever moved interstate, then you know what that's like. There is this period of time when you've decided to move and you're preparing to move, but you're still yet to move. So transitions are this in-between time. A new season is beginning, but the old has not yet passed away. We're in one such transition as a church. New elders have been installed into our church. I am moving out of the role of senior pastor. God has raised up Pastor Graham and he is now the interim senior pastor. So we are in this time of transition. A new season is beginning, but the old has not yet passed away. Now, when people go through periods of transition and change, it can be very unsettling. It is very natural to feel unsettled and uncertain as you pass through transition because you're not quite sure of what the new will be like. Maybe that's how you feel this morning as our church goes through this season of transition. The old is ending, but you're not quite sure what the new will be like. And it's very easy to become afraid during a season of transition. People can become unstuck during transition. Now, when you look at the Bible at major transitions for God's people, one that stands out for me is the transition that occurred when Israel stopped wandering in the wilderness and moved into the promised land. At this point, they went from people who were nomads to people who were warriors. They went from living in tents to living in cities. They went from living off manna that God provided them every day to living off the produce of the land of Canaan. Now, this period of transition is recorded for us in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. The book of Joshua in the Old Testament comes directly after the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then comes Joshua. And in each chapter of Joshua, there is a lesson for how we can be people of faith as we go through a period of transition. And so as a church, we're going to be studying the book of Joshua for the next seven Sundays as we go through this season of transition. Now, in Joshua chapter 1, three times the Lord says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. In verse 6, he says, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. In verse 7, he says, be strong and very courageous. And then in verse 9, he says again, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord is with you wherever you go. And so three times the Lord says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. As I said, periods of transition can be very unsettling for people, can be a time when you are filled with fear. And so for Joshua, it would have been very easy for him to become infected with fear. Moses, the great leader, had died and they'd been wandering for 40 years in the desert because of their disobedience. But how do you overcome fear? How do you demonstrate courage in the face of fear? How do you stand up and do what is right, even though you might feel afraid? 
In Joshua 1 and verse 1, we read this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Now, these sound like pretty easy instructions. Take the people over the Jordan and go into the land that I'm giving to you. You know, when I was 17, my parents gave me my first car. I'll never forget when my dad handed me the keys and said, here you go, the car is yours. Now, this might seem what the Lord is doing with Joshua. He's saying, here's the keys. The land of Canaan is yours. All you need to do is jump in and drive away. But it was not that simple. You see, the land of Canaan was occupied territory. I have a map here that shows who occupied the land at the time when the Lord spoke these words to Joshua. As you can see, it was filled with all the ites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Amalekites, the Midianites, and the Philistines. That last one sort of doesn't fit, does it? <laughs> and these enemies, these nations had been in the land for hundreds of years. They had fortified cities. Jericho, for example, the first city that we encounter in the book of Joshua was a fortified city. It would have seemed impenetrable for the Israelites. And so when Joshua heard what the Lord was asking him to do, and he remembered the enemies who were in the land, it would have filled him with fear. And so to overcome his fear, he first needed to face his fears. He needed to face the fact that, God, that what God was calling him to do would be to battle enemies. Now, Paul had a very similar thing to say to his young prodigy, Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6, Paul said to Timothy, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul was urging Timothy to stir up his gift, most probably the gift of preaching and pastoring. And why did Paul say this? Because he says in verse 7, For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. It seems that Timothy was becoming timid and he was backing away from bold proclamation of the gospel because of the fear and intimidation of the enemy. And so Paul tells him that he needed to face his fears and he reminds him that God hasn't given him a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of self-control. Maybe you're here today and you're becoming fear, fearful and intimidated because of the enemy. But here's the thing. The devil does his best work in the dark. So to overcome your fears, you must face your fears. You know, when Tegan and I were first married, I was not very good at budgeting our money. I'd grown up on a farm and never had a part-time job and never had a bank account of my own. And so I just used to ignore our money situation. I would spend money and I would hope that there was money in our account to cover it. But I never really knew for certain. And it came to this point where I did not want to know. I did not want to read our bank statements for fear of discovering what I would find. And so I lived in the dark. But things never really changed until the day that I decided to face my fears. You know, I was once talking with someone and after I shared what was going on in my life, they suggested that I make a list of my fears. 
They said to me, list out all your fears, Timon. And I suggest that you do that today. Why don't you take out your phone right now and in the notes section, write out exactly what you are afraid of at this moment. Is it losing your job? Are you afraid of how you would cope if your spouse were to leave you? Are you afraid of a difficult conversation that you've been putting off having? Now, when I did this, when I wrote out my fears, when I faced my fears, I realized that there are really three different types of fears. Things that would never happen, things that might possibly happen, and things that are happening right now. Now, concerning the things that would never happen, these were just in my mind. These were either complete lies of the devil or just my own imagination. Now, when it comes to those fears, you need to stop believing lies and you need to set your mind on the truth. But what about the things that might possibly happen or that are happening? Well, those fears are legitimate fears. They are real fears. They are very real things that could happen to you or might be happening to you. But it's good to put them down on paper. It's good to bring them out into the light. It's good to face them and acknowledge them. You know, as I said, the devil does his best work in the dark. So what are your fears? Have you made a list of the things that you're afraid of happening to you? For Joshua, there were very real enemies in the land. And for you and me, there may be very real things happening in our lives to be afraid of. But if you're ever going to overcome fear, it doesn't come by putting your head in the sand and pretending that things are all okay. No, to overcome your fears, you must face your fears. Now, as I said, most of the fears that we have will never happen. They're just either lies of the enemy or they're just part of our own vivid imagination. But what do you do with your true fears? The things that could possibly happen to you or might be happening to you right now. What do you do with those things? Well, in verse 3, the Lord tells Joshua what he should focus on. He says this, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. And then he says, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So God was telling Joshua that he needed to focus on the fact that God was leading his people into the land and had given them the land rather than focusing on the fact that there were enemies in the land. You know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, a former president of the United States of America and the president who was the president through the Second World War, he once said something very perceptive. He once said, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something is more important than fear. You know, whenever someone demonstrates courage, it's not as though they don't feel afraid. They do. It's just that they've deemed something else as being more important than their fear. Now, you know this, because whenever you've demonstrated courage in your life, the fear didn't go away, it is just that something else became more important to you that caused you to act rather than obeying your fears. Believe it or not, I used to be very afraid of speaking up for myself. And I'll never forget this one time I had an interview to do a course on small business management. 
Tegan and I had moved to the Gold Coast and I was on unemployment benefits. And if I got into this course, I would be able to start a music teaching business to provide for my then pregnant wife, Tegan. And I'll never forget being filled with fear as I came into the interview. It was very intimidating. I'd never done anything like it before. And as soon as I sat down, the man conducting the interview said, we have already had three music teachers do this course already and they all failed. What makes you think that you will do any different? That's how it started. That were the very first words out of his mouth as soon as I sat down. But there was something more important than my fear of speaking up. And that was my ability to provide for my family. And so I boldly told him what I would do and how I would go about running a successful music teaching business. So my fear of speaking up didn't go away. It's just that something else was more important, providing for my family. You know, one time the Davies were over our house and Nathaniel Davies was in the swimming pool. Uh, this was when he was much younger. He was about four or five at the time. And it was a bit cold. And I wasn't going to go in because I was afraid that the water was too cold. But then I started to see him struggle. It looked to me like he was drowning. And so my fear of the cold water was replaced by the importance of saving young Nathaniel's life. And so I jumped into the pool fully clothed and saved Nathaniel. You can thank me later, Nathaniel, for saving your life. <laughs> now, of course, Susie claims that Nathaniel was fine. She was in charge the whole time. But the debate is still raging even today. So whenever you demonstrate courage, it's not a question of whether you feel afraid or not. You will feel afraid. The question is whether you will allow that fear to paralyze you or you will focus on what is more important and you allow that to motivate you to act. So ask yourself this question. What is more important than my fear? Ask yourself this very important question. If I don't step up and act, if I give in to fear, then what will I and others miss out on? If I stay paralyzed in my fear, then what will be, result, what will be the result for me? And what will be the result for others? You know, many of us fear rejection, and that's why we don't share the gospel with others. But what's more important than being rejected? Well, obviously, coming to see our friends come to know Christ and be saved eternally. Therefore, if you want to overcome fear, don't focus on your fear. But focus on what is more important than your fear. But still you might say, I feel so weak. <laughs> I don't know if I have the capacity in myself to step up and act. I don't know if I could do it. So where does the resources come from? Where does the capacity come from to be strong and courageous and step up and act? You know, as Joshua heard the Lord say to him, I want you to take this people and go over the Jordan and take possession of the land, it would have been natural for him to think, that sounds good, Lord, but I'm no Moses. I'm not sure I have what it takes. I'm only Moses' assistant, the son of Nun, a 
nothing, a nobody. Well, look at what the Lord says to him in verse 5. The Lord says to Joshua, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Now, that's a pretty amazing promise. No man will be able to stand before you. I will give you my authority, Joshua. All your enemies will flee before you. And then the Lord says this, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Now, how was the Lord with Moses? Well, the Lord was with Moses in that through Moses' hands, he performed his wonders so that they defeated the greatest nation of that time, Egypt. And the Lord was with Moses so that when he thrust down the staff in his hand into the Red Sea, the waters parted and the people walked through on dry ground. And the Lord was with Moses in that he would meet with Moses face to face in the tent of meeting and give him guidance. And so when the Lord was saying to Joshua, Joshua, I will be with you just as I was with Moses, he was saying, I will give you my power. I will give you my strength and I will give you my guidance. So to overcome fear, Joshua had to trust that God would give him everything he needed to succeed at what God was calling him to do. You know, when it comes to our fears, I think they can be broken into three categories. First, there are fears related to our provision. Fears like, what if I lose my job? Will I have what I need? Or what if the economy goes under? Will I, what will happen to my retirement funds? Or if I sell my house, will I get what I'm asking for it? Second, there are fears related to our protection. What if I have an accident and I'm disabled for the rest of my life? What if I get some sort of disease or illness? Will I be able to cope? What if someone breaks into my house and harms me or my family? And the final category of fears are related to personal relationships. What if the Lord wants me to be single for the rest of my life? What if my mate never loves me again and we are never reconciled? And what if God doesn't give us children as a young couple? So provision, protection, and personal relationships. But here's the thing. Our God has promised to meet each one of these areas of need. When it comes to provision, the Lord has promised to provide all of our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. When it comes to protection, he's promised to be our refuge and fortress, our deliverer. And when it comes to personal relationships, he has promised to be our constant companion while everyone else may desert us and abandon us, just as he said to Joshua, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says that to you. Therefore, our God has promised to meet each one of our needs. You know, Romans 8 verse 31, Paul makes a pretty amazing promise. He said, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Why don't you insert this morning whatever you're afraid of into that verse? If God is for me, then how can my fear of not having a job be against me? Or if God is for me, then how can my fear of being single for the rest of my life be against me? Or if God is for me, how can my fear of getting an illness be against me? You know, Anne Blotcher was first diagnosed with breast cancer 
1977, when her five children were young adults. After going through chemotherapy, she went into apparent remission. Several years later, the cancer reappeared. After battling to control the cancer with chemo and diet, she finally went home to be with the Lord in 1986. And as she walked through those difficult and uncertain years, Anne had to face numerous fears about her future and her family. One of the things she struggled with most was her desire to be part of her children's lives. As she dealt with each issue, Anne discovered that what God was asking of her really came down to a matter of trust. She expressed that perspective in a poem written less than three years before her homecoming. I want to read it to you this morning. It's entitled, Can You Trust Me? Can you trust me, child? Not only for ultimate eternity, of which you know next to nothing, and so you are not tempted to meddle, but for the little span of your life between now and then, where you envision decline and separations and failures, impairments, impairments, pain, bereavements and disappointments? Do you find me qualified to be the Lord of your last days? Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes and amen. Can you trust me, child? Not only to synchronize the unthinkable intricacies of creation, but to work together for good the gravities and tugs within your little orbit where your heart is pulled by needs and lacks you wish but are destitute to fill. Do you find my resources adequate to feed both the sparrows and you? Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes and amen. Can you trust me, child? Not only for the oversight of nations and creations, not of this world, but for those beloved ones I've committed to you and you committed to me. Do you believe me trustworthy to perform the good work I began in them until the day of Christ Jesus? Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, and amen. You see, as Anne Blotcher cast herself upon the character, the heart, and the promises of God, she was enabled to respond to the will of God in wholehearted surrender, whether that meant she continued being sick or was healed. You know, isn't that the heart of the matter for every child of God? Whatever your fears, whatever the unknowns or challenges in your life, God has promised to provide for you, to protect you, and to give you His enduring presence. But how can we be confident that God will provide, protect, and give his enduring presence? How can you be assured that God will give you everything you need so that you can serve him? Well, look down your Bibles in verse 7. The Lord says again to Joshua, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. You see, the Lord was promising Joshua that if he obeyed, if he was careful to do all the Lord had commanded him, then he would be successful. You see, the final thing that we must do if we want to overcome fear is live a life of obedience. Because if we live a life of obedience before God, it will result in his blessing. Now, when it comes to our position in Christ, nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are in the Father's hand and nothing can snatch us out. This blessing is unconditional. It is a gift. 
It is based on the work of Jesus alone. And when we believe, it's given to us as a gift and God's not going to take it back. But some of the temporal blessings that we experience this side of resurrection are conditioned upon our obedience. For example, Jesus says this in John 14 and verse 21. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You see, Jesus says, if you obey my commandments, then you will experience the pleasure of the Father on your life, and you will also experience an intimate relationship with me. Therefore, God does promise that obedience will result in blessing. Now, the Lord also gives Joshua a strategy to help him obey. Look down in verse 8. The Lord says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Why? So that you will be careful to do all that I've written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. The way to make sure that you stay on the right path is to meditate on God's word. It is to make sure that his word is not departing from your mouth. It's to make sure that you're daily reading, praying, and studying God's word. But I don't know about for you, but for me, even though I read and meditate on God's word very regularly, I still find myself turning to the left and to the right. I still sin. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. And I've failed to do all that the Lord commanded me to do. I haven't loved the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might, and with all my strength every day of my life. I haven't loved my neighbor as myself in all my thoughts and my attitudes and my words and my actions. What about you? Have you lived a perfect life of obedience before God? Well, there is one last thing that will help strengthen us to overcome fear. And it comes from seeing this story in the light of the largest story of the Bible. You see, the Hebrew name for Joshua is the name Yeshua. And it means the Lord saves. But when translated from Hebrew into Koine Greek, the original language of the New Testament... The name Yeshua becomes Iesus, and in English we translate Iesus, Jesus. Thus, Joshua and Jesus mean the same thing. The Lord saves, or the Lord is our salvation. So, Jesus and Joshua have the same name. But there are some differences between Jesus and Joshua. You see, like the rest of us, Joshua is just a human being. He did not obey the law completely. He did not meditate on it day and night. He sinned. But Jesus never did. Jesus, your Joshua, always obeyed the Father and the law of God. He was always careful to do everything that the Father required of him. And so he secured for you God's provision, God's protection, and his abiding presence. Now, I believe your experiences of these promises are conditioned on your faith and obedience, as I've already said, but they are not secured by it. And that's an important difference. You see, there's a difference between you and Joshua. Joshua was under the old covenant, but you are under the new covenant. This morning, you ate the bread and you drank the cup. You see, Joshua's blessings were based upon his obedience 
But God has promised to be for you and with you because you are in Christ. It's not based on your obedience, but upon your Joshua, Jesus, and his obedience on your behalf. And you see, just as the Lord was with Joshua and he stood up and he led God's people into the promised land and took possession of it by defeating their enemies, Jesus, our Lord, defeated all of our enemies on the cross and he secured for us entrance into God's eternal kingdom. As the writer of Hebrews says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Jesus took on our humanity. He took on flesh and blood. It says that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And he might deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You know, as we read the rest of the book of Joshua and the book of Judges, we find that Joshua's victory was not as complete as we first thought. He did not take possession of all that God had promised for Israel. But Jesus' victory, my friends, was a perfect victory. He defeated all of our enemies at the cross, and he secured for you entrance into his eternal kingdom. And so we no longer have to be afraid of death. We no longer have to be enslaved by the devil to the fear of death. And this is good news, because what is the worst thing that could possibly happen to you this morning? You could die. And Jesus has dealt with that at the cross. He defeated death. He went to the cross for you and secured entrance into God's eternal kingdom. If God be for us, it says then... If God be for us, then? I don't think you believe it. If God be for us, then? And in that same passage, Paul goes on to say, if he did not spare his own son, then how will he not graciously give us all things? You see, God's provision and protection an abiding presence is not based upon your obedience to the law. It's based upon Jesus's. Now, whether you experience or not, will be based upon your faith, whether you trust him, but it's not secured by your obedience. And that should be good news for some people here today who didn't follow the law exactly this week, who didn't obey perfectly this week, who do struggle to read their Bible and meditate on it every day. That should be good news for some people here. It's good news for me. I'm standing in my Joshua, Jesus, and his perfect obedience, and his death on the cross, and his resurrection, and his victory. Amen? So what do you fear this morning? What did you write down on your phone? Are you afraid of losing your job? Are you afraid of how you'd cope? Are you afraid of a difficult conversation? Thank you, Steve. That was a bit of a, bit of a dramatic moment, wasn't it, there? Are you afraid you'll get hit by Timon's, sun, Timon's glasses? <laughs> when you look at that fear, if it's just imaginary, 
It's just a lie of the enemy. Don't allow his lies to trap you. But I know that many of you are going through real things. You're going through real stuff. Tegan and I have been through real stuff this year. One of the great fears I have is I'm heading into an uncertain future. I don't, going into this sabbatical, I don't know what's going to be at the end. That's a real fear. That's a real thing. But if Jesus has won the ultimate victory at the end, how will he not graciously give us everything we need until we get there? So we don't have to be trapped in fear. We can focus on what's most important. We can trust that he will protect, he will provide, he will give us his enduring presence, and we can rest in the victory of our Joshua, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your love, Lord. There's no one in this place who has obeyed your law perfectly and therefore deserves your blessing, your perfect blessing, except the Lord Jesus. He always did your will, Father. He always followed through. And he did it on our behalf so that we're standing right now in his perfect righteousness, secured for us by him. And we thank you that he went to the cross and he died for all of our enemies, sin, Satan, and death. And he secured for us entrance into your eternal kingdom. And if he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up graciously for us, how will he not graciously give us all things that we need in our journey from now to glory. Lord, I pray that faith would rise in, the heart, in our hearts as we think about what the victory of our Joshua, our Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.